Igniting Hope Ministries welcomes you. Prepare yourself to listen to a message that will spark hope and renew your mind. <laughs> Thank you. Yay. Woo. Yes, Lord. Yay. Thank you, Lord. So good. Ha, 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 ha. Amen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Somebody uh, just say freedom. <laughs> Fire. Fire. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. No limits. No limits. <clears throat> uh, I... I <laughs> when we were just singing about freedom, it reminded me of many years ago in the 90s when we were pastoring in Nevada. I <clears throat> was just walking around the church praying one night, and I just felt this urge in my spirit to just yell out freedom. So I just walked around the church yelling freedom, and every night for the next three months, part of my prayer time was spent just yelling freedom, and nobody knew about it because it was the middle of the night, no one my husband didn't even know what I was doing there. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing was, we had a guest speaker come about three months into it. And he got up on Sunday morning. He goes, when I walked into the church, the first thing I heard was the word freedom. Yeah. You know, it just made it so real and alive that when we speak his word, it really doesn't fall to the ground until it has accomplished that which it was sent to, to do. Mm. And so just, you know, speak that over your life with faith. The words that you're speaking are seeds into your future. Because the word wow. of God is a seed and it carries <laughs> within it the power to fulfill what it was sent to do. That's a good word right there. If something happened, something was spoken. If something happened, something was spoken. I love uh, Genesis 1 where the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep and waiting to have something to work with. And then God said, let there be light. And, and he had what was necessary to work with. And I just see over your life tonight, the spirits hovering over chaotic areas, areas uh, of in, needing increase, and, and just uh, there, there's a gift of faith tonight just on words being spoken. So we just say freedom. Yeah, just say order. Increase. Multiplication. Breakthrough, Breakthrough. Freedom. freedom. It's great to be here, and it's great to hear Gabe's stories. <laughs> we pastored in Weaverville after Bill and Danny Silk, and were there 2001, 2008. Had Gabe as youth pastor the last three three years or so, and just did a great job. It's great to see you, Gabe, and. You're as funny as always. <laughs> Releasing revelation. <laughs> I 
I got some things. Well, worship and, and just um, I want to just declare these things. There's a there's a Jehu anointing. I saw a Jehu anointing being released tonight uh, of people understanding their assignment. People, I, I saw double mindedness getting broken off of people and people getting clarity uh, about their assignment in God. Um, I, I saw someone, this is a funny one, um, uh, I saw someone getting freedom from being addicted to television news. <laughs> yeah. Um, even while we were doing the offering tonight and, and just uh, doing that offering declaration, I heard this, that, that the Lord is increasing what your needs are. I saw him increasing what, what your understanding of what your needs are. And I saw the Lord moving people from a survivalistic mentality into a world-changing mentality. When we actually understand that we are, we are commissioned and called to change the world, how many of you know our needs just got a lot bigger? And that's the mandate. I saw just someone getting free and just, just actually there's a shift happening. And as you expand what you believe your needs are, I saw just that just the provision, that that was a key to the provision being released. Uh, marriages are being healed. Someone's marriage is getting healed. It looks hopeless now, but, but it's not hopeless. It feels hopeless, but I want to tell you, it's not hopeless. Uh, I heard this, that the Chinese, there's, there's real grace on Chinese-speaking people and Spanish-speaking people, and, and that, that you're a key in this next wave. And I saw actually people that the Lord just, that there's investments and there's relationships that are being established in Spanish-speaking people and Chinese-speaking people. You getting anything else, Wendy, or you just want me to keep rolling? Um, I just heard one thing for the people anyway. Um, I just felt like there's some people who whether it was some of our international people that are visiting or some of the students that this is your last night, I felt in my spirit that God wants you to know that you have what it takes. You have what it takes. And it's not because of what you've learned. It's because of what you've become. And that's what's going to change your nation or wherever you're going back home to. I got a couple grandkids stories. Bill shared some good ones today. I've got a, a granddaughter. Her name is Ellie Mae O'Brien. She's a first grader in BCS. When she was around three, I took her to a park here in Reading, and she was got on some high, just this high thing going to a slide. It was, it was pretty narrow for her. And I was kind of walking beside her, underneath her, and I heard her saying this as she was walking up there. I heard her saying, 
I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And, and, and I was thinking about that tonight. By the way, how many of you know you, you can't think a lie when you're speaking the truth? I mean, David, when he was going after Goliath, was saying something. You know, he was saying, I can do it, but he was saying it with a few different words. But he's saying, I can do it. And, and, and I, I saw just tonight the Lord is just, just literally putting it in you that you can do it. Just say, I can do it. Another story, uh, Caden, he's, uh, he's also, he's a third grader in BCS, and when he was around two, he was over at our house. We were still in Weaverville pastoring, and, and Wendy and Caden's uh, mother, Heidi, were in the bedroom, and Caden was in the living room, and, and they heard a big crash in the living room. And so uh, Wendy and Heidi were waiting to see if Caden was going to cry, and, and he didn't cry, but they heard him say this, I okay. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> By the way, I want you to say, I okay. I okay. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of crashing going on. By the way, somebody just needs to hear this. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We were ministering in uh, England uh, a few years ago, and I remember uh, I was I had this short window. I did three meetings on a Sunday, and I had this afternoon meeting, like an hour. I was there about an hour, and I I released this this word. And uh, as we'll share in a moment, we we love to have people laugh at things, and um, and this person, and we love to build hope. And it was obvious from this person's body language that she she did not want to get her hopes up. How many, how many of you know sometimes you just get in a place where the fear of being disappointed again becomes greater than the vision and hope we have for our future? And, 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 and she, she just was, I mean, usually people, you know, will, if they don't want to laugh at what, what we're doing, they'll at least give a courtesy laugh. <laughs> but nothing. And ministering, and I remember leaving... And I just had a moment. I gave her a book and I just spoke these words. I said, it's going to be okay. So I said, I just spoke, it's going to be okay. That's all I said. I released that word, left, boom, gone. And she emails me a few months later and just says that those words in the book just absolutely um, just transformed her life. Just a little thing. And hearing, and she was involved in a government thing. It was a high level thing that was putting great pressure on her, but it brought freedom. Someone needs to hear tonight, it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay, but that's the beginning point. I think, you know, one of the keys for change for me was when God said, you know, Wendy, you don't necessarily need to see something different. You need to believe something different. You know, because I, I kept trying to change the circumstance so I could be okay. But the circumstance doesn't change until I believe something different about my circumstance. And something just begins to switch when we actually begin to attach faith to areas of our life that God really is good. You know, we're going to get into that a little bit more. But 
because our life has been transformed just by changing what we believe. Because I always thought my personality and my past was holding me back. And your personality and your past can't hold you back, but your current beliefs can. We're going to give away a few books real fast. Uh, Wendy has written a book called Living from the Unseen. And uh, if Wendy's heart ministers to you tonight, this is a great point. Tom, can you give that away? Um, I've, I've <laughs> the last book I've written is called Help I'm a Pastor. I've got, a, I've got a great heart for senior pastors. I was one for 17 years and love senior pastors or spouses. This has 80 core values for church leadership. It has 50 scenarios that you wish you were taught about in seminary or Bible school, but you weren't. Let's laugh at these scenarios that are in here. Um, my people are always late for meetings. <laughs> uh, someone comes up to you and says, uh, Pastor, that person you have in ministry, she is a Jezebel. <laughs> or, or this classic one that every, every senior pastor has heard. Pastor... The music is too loud. <laughs> Fine. If there's a senior pastor here, just raise your hand. And... I just want to say what I like about that book is even though it has scenarios, it has the, the actual core values. And what I realized is that most of us, when we're leading, we don't actually think and write out what our core values are. And then when we're faced with something, we react to it instead of ask, what's my core value for reacting to this? You know, just that simple reminder to, you know, put words to your core values. It really helps. It causes us to be a proactive leader rather than a reactive leader. We're also, um, we're just finishing. I wrote one book called, it's called Let's Just Laugh at That. And we're, we're just finished a, uh, it's going to be out in a month or so or a few weeks. It's called Let's Just Laugh at That for Kids. Let's, let's laugh at these, some of these that are in here like, uh, I'm not good at anything. Ha, 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 ha. I'm stupid. Ha, 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 ha. It's not fair. Lying will solve my problems. <laughs> my parents are too strict. Let's give an extra laugh on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these, this is good. Um, I need to hang out with the popular kids to be cool. <laughs> so that's coming out shortly. And we want to go after something tonight. We have a, we have a great passion. We have a... I work with Paul Manwaring, by the way, someone say yay, yay. Just, just love Paul, and uh, he's, I think he's in the UK right now, we, I work in Global Legacy, the part of Bethel that connects with uh, churches and leaders and organizations around the world that want to connect, um, I co-lead the leader development program, anybody done that who's here, just some of you, yes, it's an online distance learning uh, curriculum in the revival culture. 
And we travel about half the year. We teach in the School of Supernatural on church leadership. And we have our own ministry called Igniting Hope Ministries. We have, we have a mandate to ignite hope. There's no hopeless circumstances. There's only hopeless people. Once people get true hope, the circumstance cannot stay the same. And, and God always partners with somebody who has hope. God always partners with somebody who has unreasonable optimism. The people in the Bible who made a difference were unreasonably optimistic. We release unreasonable optimism over you. How many of you know Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37 when he spoke to the dry bones? How many of you know he was unreasonably optimistic? How many know Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 13, when they went to spy out the promised land with the other 10 spies, how many know they were unreasonably optimistic? It takes no effort at all to be pessimistic. <laughs> Wendy and I, we're, we're not into positive thinking, we're into biblical optimism. We're not into positive thinking, we're into biblical optimism. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And it gives a reason why. For he who promised is faithful. The reason we can become an incessant hope speaker, matter of fact, it said, I mean, the writer of Hebrews says, Hey, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Not just the thought. The confession of our hope without wavering. So don't let it go and do it without wavering. The reason is, is because he who promised is faithful. Say that. He who promised is faithful. Say it again. He who promised is faithful. Yeah, and those who haven't heard us, I just want to clarify. We're not into just acting hopeful. You know, just working up an emotion. Because when God first started talking to us about having hope, my thought was, Ugh, now I have to be happy too. You know, it's like working for Jesus. <laughs> and uh, God said, Wendy, I don't want you to work up an emotion of hope because hope has to be attached to a belief system. And he said, the only way you can have true biblical hope is if you have the truth. If you see something that the world isn't seeing. You know, the eyes of faith. And that's what gives us hope. And so don't go out trying to pretend like you're hopeful when you're not. Just go out and decide, okay, God, you must have some hope about this because you're the God of all hope. I mean, at one time I remember thinking, just between you and me, there really are some hopeless situations, right? You know? And he goes, well, I'll make a deal. You have permission to be hopeless about anything I'm hopeless about. <laughs> so far that hasn't happened you know so if you come across one of those just ask the Holy Spirit you know are you hopeless about this and if he's not then obviously you're not seeing something he sees and that's what we go after is a different viewpoint a different perspective so tonight we're going to minister a message called Four Life-Changing Beliefs. 
And, you know, the whole beliefs journey has been just incredible for us. I mean, when we went out and pastored in 1991 in Nevada, by the way, that's when we asked Bill to come out. He was pastoring in Weaverville. He, he took the drive to, into the desert. I like to say I, I made a decision above my ability to make such a great decision by inviting Bill. And it's, it's wonderful, you know, to have him out there. And, and one thing I like about deserts, how many of you know God likes to send people to deserts to teach them how to repent? And we had, done, you know, up to that point in our Christian life, we had just surrendered our heart and just to the Lord, and, and you know, and that's obviously just such a key. But we thought our lack of transformation was because we hadn't surrendered our heart enough. And the Lord, as He took us to the desert and taught us how to repent and how to think differently, which is one of the best definitions of repentance, is to change the way you think. That he said, I'm bringing you to the desert because you don't get transformation by surrendering your heart. You get transformation by surrendering your beliefs. So I'm moving you into Romans 12 too, which says, be transformed by what? Amen. By the renewing of your mind. And so we, we, were, we went on a journey of actually surrendering what we believed. Because Jesus said in, in John 8, 32, he said, the truth will make you what? So every area of our life where we believe truth in, we get free. Every area of our life where we believe lies, we're not free. We get saved because we believe in Jesus. We'll have freedom and we'll see transformation because we believe like Jesus. We get saved because we believe in Jesus. We'll have transformation and freedom because we believe like Jesus. And that began, that began to just bring this shift into our lives of actually saying, we're going to keep surrendering our, our, every area of our life. But, but we actually had to learn how to surrender our beliefs. And, and on one level, it's easier, easier to surrender your heart than beliefs. Like, like, can we surrender our belief that our nation is hard for the gospel? By the way, let's just laugh at that. <laughs> Let me explain. I do like to laugh at lies, and some of you have never heard that, so let me just give you a quick, uh, you know, uh, just a, a quick uh, understanding of that. How many of you know lies sound really real in the darkness of our thinking, but they're laughable when you bring them out to the light of language and words? Lies sound really real in the darkness of our thinking, but when we actually speak them out loud, they sound ridiculous. And, and laughter is, is, is a weapon. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Laughter is a weapon. How many know God invented laughter? He did that. And, and to laugh, you have to let go of something. And one of the things that, that we've discovered is we can let go of bad beliefs through laughing. <laughs> Let me do an experiment with you. Let me just share some classic devil lies with you. And we've got extra teaching on that in our book. Let's just laugh at that. But just to work with us tonight and do an experiment. All right, just do an experiment. You don't have anything to lose. But I want, I want to share some classic lies. And I'd like you just to laugh after I share them and then let go of any, any belief you have with that. All right, here we go. Let's laugh at this lie. <clears throat> God is not going to meet your needs in the future. (laughs) 
<laughs> because his ability to meet your needs is dependent on how the economy is doing. <laughs> Here's one. <laughs> Some of you are jumping the gun here. Yes, yes, yes. Here we go. Here's one. Okay. You are an insignificant person in the body of Christ. <laughs> you got one? Yeah. Here's one I used to hear all the time. You are spiritually deaf. <laughs> And you're never going to change. <laughs> Here's a lie I camped in for about a decade. <clears throat> there is something uniquely wrong with you. <laughs> but it felt so true. It's got to be true. That leads into another great lie. If something feels really, really true, it means it is true. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and here's one of the devil's favorite lies. Laughter is of the devil. So <laughs> Some of us, you know, I used to be a joy-impaired, laughter-impaired leader. <laughs> and I got delivered. And I'm hearing tonight that, that, that there's leaders in the room. You're getting delivered. You're getting delivered of joy-impairedness. I mean, joy is all over in the Bible. It's one-third of the kingdom, Romans 14, 17. I mean, how many of you know if it's one-third of the kingdom, it's probably pretty important. I mean, I, I just, uh, yeah, just thank you, Lord, just for breakthrough. How about, let's laugh at this line. You should not trust the perspective of any Christian who laughs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of our lies are so familiar to us, we think they're true. And one of the ways that God helped me to find out if some of my thoughts were true or not was just realizing that the truth sets you free, therefore lies restrict you. So anything that disempowers you and restricts you from doing the kingdom is a lie. You know, I used to think I can't speak in public. Uh-huh. I camped there for 40, 45 years. Because <laughs> I thought it was my personality. And a lot of the things that we think are a personality are just our past experience. 
And so just start thinking about the beliefs that you have that restrict you from being all that God told you that you are. You know, even simple stuff like, you know, I'm disorganized. Yeah, let's laugh at that. Ah. You know, ah. and I tried to keep that lie because I thought if I started believing I was organized, God would make me become organized. <laughs> 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 But then he just said, you know, well, how disorganized can you be when the God who created the universe and holds it all together lives in you? You know, you're just pulling on the wrong stuff. You're pulling on your past experience instead of on who he is in you. What would happen if we started believing we could do all things in Christ? You know, not just a mental theology, but actually believed it. And that's, you know, our whole goal in the renewing of the mind is actually taking stuff from just mental agreement to an inner belief system. You know, having so much faith and belief that we're just shocked when it doesn't work out. You know, that's where I want to be. If it fails, I'm like, that is so weird. (laughs) You know... That's where we need to get with the promises of God. You know, I spent way too long trying to change my, you know, who I was so that I could see God work through me. But you don't change by working harder. You know, a lot of Christians, you know, when it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind it's the same word that they use for caterpillars turning into butterflies metamorphosis and I realized one day I was just trying to become a better caterpillar (laughs) (laughs) because you can't you can't become a butterfly just by trying harder The only way we're going to become who he says we are is by actually believing we are who he says we are. We've been transformed into something that's so totally different that we can now fly. And so anything that keeps us as caterpillars is a restriction. It's interesting. Caterpillars create a cocoon out of their mouth. Silk comes out of their mouth. Somebody's going, hmm, hmm, hmm. So we're going to go after uh, four life-changing beliefs. Uh, The renewing of the mind in Romans 12, too. The renewing of the mind isn't by osmosis. It's by actually intentionally believing specific truths. It's actually saying, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe that everywhere I go, revival breaks out. I'm going to believe I'm a great decision maker. And all these are, 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 are based in the word. And we want, to go after, we want to go after four tonight. By the way, let's just laugh at this line. Romans 12, 2 is actually a mistranslation. <laughs> what it really meant to say is be transformed by trying harder. <laughs> the reason this is not working is because you're doing something wrong. I'm all for doing and all for wisdom. But, but the reason we're not seeing transformation is we're believing something wrong. 
The, the kingdom of God is not moved forward by good conduct. It's moved forward by good beliefs. The kingdom of God is not moved forward by good conduct. It's moved forward by good beliefs. The, the question of the hour is not, Lord, um, what do you want me to do? The question of the hour is, Lord, what do you want me to believe? What, what do you want me to believe about you? What do you want me to believe about me, about others, and circumstances? So the first uh, life-changing belief is this. It's this, there is always a solution. Why don't you say that? There is always a solution. Say it again. Say it louder. There is always a solution. Now, now that is a, a powerful belief. Now, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know, this verse just should make you happy. It's one of the best hope verses in, in the whole Bible. It says, no temptation, or it could be translated trial. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. God is faithful. Goes on to say, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Basically what he's saying, he's saying two things. We'll never face something that we can't handle in him. And the second thing he says is no matter what you're in, you know, whatever negative situation you're in, whatever crisis you're in, there is a way of escape. There is a way out. And, and, and that is a, that's a powerful hope bringer. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a million dollars in debt tonight, there is a solution. It doesn't matter if your family just blew apart, there is a solution. It, it doesn't matter what the experts are saying about your country. By the way, let's just laugh at the experts. Uh, <laughs> There is, there's a solution. It doesn't matter what the doctor said, there's a solution. And, and, and that is, that's a reality. You know, I know Wendy and I, we get into situations and we're like you. And I mean, the, the situation seems bigger than God. Boom, we're hit with something. You know, we're to live above and not beneath. But we, we get in a situation that looks bigger in God, we, we go emotionally underneath that situation, whether it's for five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks. You know, but as soon as one of us says this, there is always a solution. It's like it begins to flip us. It begins to put us back on top. Yeah, that's just one of the core values that we've made as a declaration over our life. And, and it really has changed things. We're, we're so convinced that there is always a solution. And uh, one of the things in my studies on the brain and just how it works is they actually said that if your brain doesn't believe there's a solution, it won't look for one. Even if you think you're looking for one, it's not cooperating. Because it doesn't believe there is one. And so the first thing to do before you can actually find a solution for your problem is to come into agreement with God that there is one. Have faith. You know, the whole thing about the brain is amazing. I can remember reading a, um, a secular book about a scientist who um, 
had a stroke and lost the full use of, what is it, the right side of the brain for logic? Left. Left side of the brain. And uh, so her mother was trying to rehabilitate the left side of her brain because she kind of needed that as a scientist. And um, <clears throat> she, the doctor had told the mother, first thing is give her some toddler puzzles to work out. And that'll help with the logic. So she sat her down at the desk, poured out all the puzzle pieces, and said, okay, honey, now we're going to turn all the puzzle pieces right side up. And her daughter, who was 35, goes, what's right side up? So she explained to her how one side has color and one it doesn't. And her daughter goes, well, what's color? And what they discovered is that she hadn't been seen in color. But as soon as her mom was able to um, give the idea of color to her brain, she began to see in color. And then they discovered that she was only seeing one-dimensionally, which means it would be like me looking at a photo of you guys rather than the depth and dimension. And so her mom began to talk to her about what dimension was and how you could tell if something was in front of something else. And as soon as her brain understood the concept of dimension, she could see three-dimensionally. And I, I just read that and thought, oh my goodness. If we can convince and get our brain to understand the dimension of the kingdom, maybe we could see more than just three-dimensionally. But because our brain doesn't have that concept, it doesn't see the way it should see. And of course, she ended up getting healed. She wrote the book. (laughs) So she got full use of both sides of her brain back. And... uh, But it's an amazing story, just about, because she was a brain scientist anyway, she just had all this understanding about what she had gone through. But she came away with an even greater, um, just, belief of the intricacy of our brain and how God created it. And I'm, I'm fully convinced that our brain was created for faith. And it's supposed to work for us, not against us. And so when we start getting our core values and the truths of God and we begin to teach our brain these are truths, then we actually see life differently. It's powerful. God's solutions are not always, um, how should I say it, are not always logical. How many would agree with that? I mean, you look at... um, In the Old Testament, the Israelites came up to bitter waters. Somebody had the idea, hey, uh, let's throw a tree into it. (laughs) Boom, it made the water sweet. God's solution for um, going through the Red Sea was uh, move forward and, and Moses point your staff at it. God's solution to kill Goliath was, was with a shepherd boy who had become an expert at, uh, in faith and with slingshots. And, and just uh, the Lord, I just see something happening. I see just even tonight, the Lord is expanding your ability to see solutions 
from a wider and a higher level. And I love what Wendy said. If the brain doesn't believe there's a solution, it won't look for one. That's why hope is the beginning point of all transformation. Hope is the evidence that the renewing of the mind is working. And and so it's like, even tonight, I see the Lord just literally, just, just, first of all, putting a gift of faith on you tonight. I want you, by the way, I want you to think of a situation where there seems to be no solution in your life. Just kind of get that, you know, right now in your brain. Okay, let's laugh at this line. There actually is no solution for that situation. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. That one even stumps God. He's stumped. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 37 verse 4 is a key for, for solutions being released. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, and, and just, uh, we just thank you, Lord, for, for a delighting. You know, by the way, how many of you know you don't need joy at the end of the battle, you need joy in the battle because it's your strength. And, and, and thank you, Lord, just for delighting. I see people delighting. I see people go, woo, you know, because to delight, you got to become childlike. I don't know how, God, you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do about that situation in our ministry, but you got a solution. I I don't know what's going to happen about this relationship challenge I've got that I want to keep dwelling on. Thank you. You've got a solution. So just say it again. There, there is always a solution. solution. Alright, number two is this. It's this life-changing belief is this. I will always know what to do. Yep, say it with me. I will always know what to do. Say it again. I will always know what to do. Say it louder. Now, let's laugh at this line. In key decisions that you are going to need to make in the future, you will not know what to do. <laughs> let's give an extra laugh on that one. <laughs> I love James 1, 5 through 8. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom... I like to substitute the word ideas, strategies in for wisdom. Any of you lacks wisdom, strategies, ideas, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. How many think that's pretty clear? I used to get excited about that verse, but I used to then get depressed about verses six through eight. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) but let him ask in faith. With no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. (laughs) He is a double-minded man, unstable 
in all his ways. <laughs> you know, I'd read that, the devil would say, thou art the man. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to be so right. How many know sincere Christians can often be the most double-minded people because we just want to do it so right. We want to please the Lord so bad in our heart that we're afraid to make any decision in faith because we think it might be a wrong decision. And in this verse, how many of you know, this verse used to create hopelessness in me. How many of you know, if you're reading a passage of scripture and it creates hopelessness, you're most likely not interpreting it right. (laughs) So I said, Lord, your purpose is not to create hopelessness. Your purpose is actually to, to give me a revelation of a secret door into stability, into uh, consistency, into not being emotionally driven by everything that's going on. And, and, and you know what, what he said? He said, hey, Steve, here's the thing. If you actually start believing that I'm going, you're going to know what to do and I'm going to guide you. It is that secret door. There's something about decision making. That learning how to make decisions in faith. That actually begins to pull out uh, double mindedness. Uh, just emotional instability in our lives. And and by the way, tonight the Lord is freeing people from double-mindedness. Yeah, you know, believing that we're not going to know what to do or make the right decision is actually a poverty mindset based on the limitation of our own understanding that it's not supernatural. We need to realize it's supernatural. By faith we're receiving, you know. I remember years ago, um, one of our grandson's favorite term- terms was, I have an idea. You know, he was like three or four, and he'd come up and go, I have an idea. And so Steve started saying, oh, I have an idea too, Caden. And one day he said, I have an idea. And Steve goes, how come you have so many great ideas, Caden? And he goes, well, when I run out, God gives me new ones. <laughs> I mean, that's a prosperous soul. You know, and for me, it was the fear of making a mistake. But the fear of making a wrong decision can actually hinder you from hearing. It just paralyzes you. And so (laughs) you can kind of play with this, what God told me. (laughs) Don't create a theology out of this. But to get rid of my fear of making a wrong decision, he said, Making a wrong decision with faith has a greater likelihood of success than a good decision made in doubt. Say that again. He said a poor decision made in faith has greater likelihood of success than a good decision made in doubt. Because faith is what gives the power behind the decision. 
And I think sometimes people have actually correctly heard God, but it didn't work out right because they never did attach faith to what God told them to do. They actually didn't believe it was going to work. I'll just be obedient, God, but I'll show you this doesn't work. Because I know me. And that just freed me up. And the other thing that freed me up was just making God bigger than my poor decisions. You know? So if you have fear of making a wrong decision, I'm not saying, you know, just become flippant. We still search the word. We get good counsel. We seek God's wisdom. But it's those people who are paralyzed by fear that you just need to hear this. Just be okay. God's bigger than your mistakes. You know, because otherwise you're never going to do anything in faith. And that's where Steve and I were. We, you know, we never made any decision in faith. We would just kind of step out and try something. And a lot of times it wasn't working just because we never attached faith to it. And we're not saying rob a bank in faith. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Interesting verse, Romans 14, 5. It says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Just say the words fully convinced. Now, the Lord is taking you on a journey of being fully convinced. I mean, doctrinally, he's taking us on a journey to be fully convinced it's God's will to heal everybody. It, it, it's, we're to be fully convinced of his goodness. We're to be fully convinced he's called us to walk in abundance so we can actually change the world. And I mean, it's interesting. It says here, you know, one esteems one day, uh, another esteems every day. You know, it's kind of like talking about Sabbaths. He said, hey, you know, you, if, if you think uh, Saturday's the Sabbath, go for it, but be fully convinced. If you think Sunday's it, go for it. You think every day is alike, just go for it, but be fully convinced. Now, now it tells me something that in areas that the, there's, there's, obviously there's clear areas in scripture that are very clear about what's right and wrong. And then there's, 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 a, there's areas where the Lord actually uses as our training ground. Our training ground that aren't as clear that other Christians have different uh, views than we do. The Lord is using those as your training ground to actually strengthen your decision making and strengthen your belief so that you'll actually walk in faith in what you're doing. And so thank you, Lord, tonight that, that you're doing something in our lives about decision making. So I was thinking about this message. You know, there there. There's many people within the sound of our voice, you're making decisions. You're either in transition, you're thinking of, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to decide on something. Um, and, and, and there's grace being released concerning your whole process. I mean, one thing I've noticed about decision making, whenever I start asking God about something, <clears throat> it seems like he, he, he starts dealing with other areas of my life. Anybody ever been there? Uh, now, Steve, that I have your attention, 
Uh, what's this thing? What's that fear? What's that poverty mindset? Uh, what, what, what's, what is that? And, and, and there's, there's, there's freedom tonight because there's, there's people in this room, there's people who are hearing this message. You're, you're about, this is what I'm hearing, you're about to make a decision that's so powerful, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change everything. I like to say, you know, when I invited Bill to come out, and that I didn't know where that was leading. And we, we don't know where, where our decisions are leading. Some of you even coming to the healing conference, that was a decision. And, and you don't even know the full impact of how big that decision was. But it was big. It is big. One more thing I want to say about decision making. You know, just there's... There's just great steps, word, prayer, wisdom and a multitude of counselors. I like to decide in my spirit before a big decision. You know, I say, I'm going to do this. Lord, I give you one week. If you want, if you want to change it, you're going to change it. But this is the direction I'm going. And by the way, Lord, I'm not going to allow just my fears and my, you know, negative circumstances to change anything. You want to change it, you're going to speak by peace or, or uh, uh, really unusual coincidences. But there's one other thing that I want to say about decision making. The greater the risk is the greater the story you need. The greater the risk is the greater the story you need. I don't just take risks just to take a risk. But there's some things that the Lord just, there's so many, there's, there's so many unusual coincidences that it would take more faith not to do it than to do it. A story is Joseph, Mary comes to him and says, hey, uh, Joseph, um, I'm pregnant. Uh, You are. Tell me more. Well, it was God. (laughs) Now, sometimes we we over-spiritualize these guys thinking, oh, you know, they just are robotized people. Amen, you're pregnant, yes. You know, (laughs) Yes. And there are people just like us. And he was going to, scripture says, I think King James, put her away privately. (laughs) But then he got a story. He got a story. He had a dream. And the dream was so powerful that it was a story to have him do something illogical. I mean, Peter in, in Acts 10, he... He goes, Acts 11, he's explaining to the other apostles why he fellowshiped with Gentiles. He tells the story. While I was at prayer, had a trance, saw a sheet come down from heaven. Saw a bunch of things we're not supposed to eat on there, and I heard a voice, rise up and eat. I said, no, 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 no. Heard it again. No, not do it. Nah, uh-uh. Heard three times. No. They heard a knock on the door, ah, you know, Cornelius, guy there, Cornelius, he said he had a vision, they're supposed to call for him, I, I, I'm walking with him. Uh, by the way, it's interesting, in Acts 10, it says he went with them doubting nothing, which is fascinating. So then he says, I, I went there, I started preaching, they started speaking in tongues before I gave the altar call. <laughs> the apostle said, that was God, that was God. We thank you, Lord, for supernatural stories. Yeah. 
for the incredible things that we're going to do in our future. Supernatural. Some of you already got them, but you, some of you need a new chapter to your story because the old story is starting to fade out. The circumstances are too big. Uh, I see new chapters coming. All right, number three. Life-changing belief is, I, I will always succeed in everything I do. Say that. I will always succeed in everything I do. Say it again. I will always succeed in everything I do. Say it louder. Now, in Philippians 4.13, one of our favorite verses, what's it say? I can do some things through Christ. <laughs> the context of that is, starting in verse 11, Philippians 4. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. Now, Paul basically says, he says, wherever you put me, I'll succeed. I'll succeed as a, in prison. I'll succeed in the palace. I'll succeed if everybody thinks everybody likes me. I'll succeed if nobody likes me. And I'm expanding here, but, but the heart of it, what he's saying, he's saying, I can do all things. It doesn't matter what happens, I'll be successful. And, and the reason for that is, is because success is not a, a goal to be attained, it's a state of being. Success isn't a goal to be attained, it's a state of being. And, and, and he said, something has happened in me so significantly that it doesn't matter where you put me, I'll thrive. It's amazing when you start really focusing on the prospering of your own soul and believing, you know, that I am a success not because of what I've done, but because of who I am and what I carry. And even though I go through circumstances that sometimes don't look like success, the, the game isn't over until you quit. So you can't be a failure until you quit and say, I'm a failure. But something rises up within us, and we realize that I'm not a success because of, you know, having stuff. I'm a success because I know what I carry. You know, like Joseph in the prison. He knew he was a ruler. So he just became the ruler of all the prisoners. He knew he was a ruler, so he became a ruler of all the slaves because it was what he was. And when we begin to really believe in what we carry, we actually begin to change our outer circumstances. And a lot of us, you know, I, I love sharing this example, but we, because we travel a lot, we use GPS. And one of the things we've noticed about GPSs is, is that when you make a wrong turn or hit a detour, they never stop, start yelling at you and telling you to get out of the car. <laughs> you know, at least ours doesn't. You know, not once has it said, this trip is over, you're a failure at driving. 
just pull over because you can't get to where you're going from here. Ha, ha, ha. But GPSs always just, at least ours used to just say very gently, recalculating. <laughs> and that's what a lot of us need to hear. We think we're failures and God's already recalculating. I've got another way. Wow. You can still get to your destiny from here. Because it's who you are. God, God's method of, of creating leaders is for us to become successful on the inside when we don't look successful on the outside. God's method of creating us into influencers and leaders is for us to become successful on the inside when we don't look successful on the outside. When we went out to Nevada in 1991, there was nothing out there that would say that, that we were successful. Let, let's just, why don't you just laugh at these things because we'll let go of, probably need to <laughs> let go of some things further, but I remember being out there, I, I had a, I had a non-successful car. <laughs> my, my hair was starting to get non-successful. <laughs> yeah, I had a non-successful dog. Bill, what did they just say that? Yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill was declaring over my dog he was demon-possessed. Ha, <laughs> I had, a, I had a non-successful congregation of about 30 people. Let's laugh at that too. Uh, I was in a non-successful geographical location. I had a non-successful salary. Let's laugh at that. Uh-huh. I had a non-successful home. I was living in a single-wide mobile home. Uh, it was kind of broken down called the Parsonage. Uh-huh. And I remember the Lord basically said, Steve, I want you to believe you're a success now. I want you to get successful on the inside now. Now, Lord, could I please wait till I have a little more outward success before I actually believe that? I need evidence. I mean I, I mean, I used to think I was a great man of faith because I saw something was true in my experience and I believed. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. Yeah. And the Lord said, Steve, you're not a great man of faith. You're a great man of fact. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. I think what really helped me understand the difference between inner success and outer success was a study that I read about um, people who had nothing and became millionaires and lost all their money and became millionaires again, sometimes three times. And the study was they were trying to figure out why there's these few people who can go from nothing to millions when the average person never does it once in their lifetime. And this is the conclusion they came to. They said, the reason they could do that was because they didn't think that they were wealthy because they had money. They thought they had money because they were wealthy. Say that again. 
They didn't think that they were wealthy because they had money. They thought they had money because they were wealthy. In other words, they believed that who they were created the wealth. The success didn't come. Their identity of success didn't come because they succeeded at something. Because they believed they were a success, they succeeded. They believed, I've got good character. I've got perseverance. I've got ideas. I've got friends. I've, they knew the wealth that was within them. And that is what created the wealth on the outside. And so that's what I started doing in my life is instead of looking at what I didn't have, I started looking at what I do have. I have all the access to the kingdom of God. How can we be anything but successful? It's not an accident when you succeed. Most of us think that. You know, it's really kind of funny I just can't understand why when we fail, we call ourselves a failure. But when we succeed, we think it was an accident. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? We make identity out of negative stuff and use it as proof. But when something good happens, we never take it on as an identity. Somebody doesn't get healed when I pray for them. I don't have an anointing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Somebody does get healed. Oh, that was just an accident. Uh-huh. That was a fluke. How come we don't, you know, take identity from the good stuff that happens? It has to do with the way our brain is wired and how we're always looking for proof for what we already believe. Hmm. So if you already believe that you're a failure, you're every day looking for proof of failure. And so, you know, the goal is to start actually looking for proof for the word of God being true in your life. Because usually what we do is we take our experience and we challenge the word of God. I must not be anointed like the word says because my experience proves it. But we're supposed to challenge our experience with the word of God. We're supposed to pick up the word of God and say, I'm anointed. This has to begin to change. So challenge your experience with the word instead of challenging the word with your experience. Grandson, Caden, we're in a park here in Reading. It's getting dark. He's, his parents are up here. I'm here. He's back here on the trail. He's slow. I've got to motivate him. So I decided I'd pull out some high-level motivational skills. Yeah. So I'm back there. He, he's, again, he's about three. Um, hey, Caden, uh, let's race. No movement. So I, I turned it up a notch. I said, hey, Caden, I'm winning. <laughs> Without moving any faster, Caden said this, I'm winning too. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I said, wow, this guy's got high level beliefs. <laughs> he, he's in last place and he thinks he's winning. <laughs> I said, Lord, you're, you're speaking to me. You know, and I thought about tonight, you know, the world, for some of you, the world is saying you're in last place. Just laugh at that, by the way. Uh-huh. You're in last place, you know, just, you can name, you know, what it is, you know, whether it's job, looks, uh, you know, in education, you know, let's laugh at those things too. Ha uh-huh. I thought, Lord, just bringing freedom tonight and actually creating just a supernatural grace in you to begin to thrive on the inside and to get successful now. There, there's no convenient season to renew your mind. There's no convenient season to start radically renewing your mind. It wasn't for me. It's not for you. But, but, but what, what there is is that once we actually make a decision, grace follows quality decisions. And also, you really can't do what you don't think you are. You know, that's just, you can, you can do it for a small amount of time. Some of us are more, you know, self-willed than others, and we can maybe do it a little longer. And then others of us, we can't fake it. And the thing is, is he's not calling us to do something that we aren't created to do. And so once we start realizing, okay, if he's asking me to do this, it means I'm equipped to do this. It's in my DNA. It's who I am. And when we actually become convinced, I can do this because this is who I am. That's when things begin to shift. Just remember, if you haven't been able to do something and you've been trying for years and years, it could be what you're believing that's holding you back. You're trying to do it so that you can prove to yourself you are it instead of the other way around because it has to flow out of identity. All right, let's close with this, the last belief we've we've done. There's always a solution. I will always know what to do. I will always succeed in everything I do. And the last belief is this, is my past is always turned to good. Say that. My past is always turned to good. Say it again. My past is always turned to good. Say it louder. My past is always turned to good. I mean, the verse for that is Romans eight twenty eight. You know, I'm, there's a lot of verses the devil, I'm sure, doesn't like, but... I imagine he really doesn't like Romans 8, 28. He just, and where it says, and we know that all things, say all things, all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I, I don't think about the devil a lot because I'm not a devil-focused Christian. I'm a beliefs-focused Christian. I'm not going to be dumb about the devil, but... Uh, Uh, I don't talk about what he's doing very much, but I talk about what I believe all the time. Because if I can get my beliefs right, uh, if I believe truth, uh, I'll be free. And it doesn't sound like the devil's bothering me much if I'm free. Just a thought. But I was uh, was thinking about the devil a while back. And um, 
I, I've come up with a good biography title for the devil. You want to hear it? Here it is. It backfired again. <laughs> I mean, the story is repeated and you're, you're, you know, many of your, your stories are in the book. You know, here's a typical story, you know, conversation I'm sure happened in hell. The devil says, well, you know, we don't have to worry about her anymore. <laughs> and then six months later, a bomb hits hell. <laughs> devil says, what was that? Well, Mr. Devil, <laughs> that was the one you said we do not need to worry about anymore. Because actually what happened, that thing has turned out for such good. They're stronger than ever. And that bomb came from them. It came from them. I mean, it's like the Lord is so good at turning negatives into positives that people have created theologies that he sent the negative in the first place. <laughs> that the Lord is so good at turning negatives into positives that people have created theologies that he sent the negative in the first place to us. And that's not true. But, but he, he, he's a master at, at making what was the negative. Like, you know, and our ministries usually come from something we've overcome. Most people's ministries come from a negative that's become a positive in their life. I used to have kind of an Eeyore anointing. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a rough week. <laughs> oh, I just watch the news and America's going down the tubes. Uh-huh. And, and, and the Lord, you know, the devil just, boom, let's, let's, let's just pump Steve with negativity, with discouragement. Let's just, you know, this, but it backfired. It backfired. And now what was a negative has become my greatest positive. That's why the thing you're battling right now is not just about you. It's not just about you. Because that thing is going to get turned around. Whether it's a relationship thing, whether it's an addiction thing, whether it's a failure thing, whether it's a financial battle whether it's a, you know, a family thing, that thing's going to get turned around and that's going to become one of your greatest strengths. And you're going to bring freedom to others and it's going to backfire big time. Just say, it's backfiring. Yeah, you know, the scripture that says, he who overcomes shall gain a crown of life and a crown represents authority. So those things you've overcome gives you authority over them. And, you know, the whole thing that, that we have to realize is that for God to turn it to good is we actually have to start believing that he can do that. Because a lot of times we think, well, there's no way he can do something good out of this. 
And it doesn't mean we don't have permission to grieve over past things, you know, because we talk a lot about joy and hope, and I have a lot of people who, who are like, well, what do you do for people who are grieving? And, and I'm saying, yes, we have permission to grieve and to weep with those who weep. But the thing that keeps grief from destroying your life is to grieve with hope. Mourn what you miss, but know there's better coming. As soon as we believe, I can't reach my destiny, I'll never be happy because this was done to me or taken from me, we actually remove God out of the picture. We're telling God, nothing can change now. So just keep knowing, God's so big. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's still going to make me happy because he's my daddy. And he still has a way to cause me to succeed and to be an influence in people's lives for good, for the kingdom. And it's that hope that turns everything back into good. Because he's that big and he's that good. And there is a way. You know, I like to tell people that Worrying about our future or being depressed about our future means that we're imagining our future without God. And we just need to decide, okay, that's what it looks like when you don't show up. However, we're not without God. And I'm constantly trying to rearrange my thinking you know, I don't know about you, but we all, you know, I read somewhere that the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. But they said, unfortunately, it's the same 60,000 thoughts every single day. <laughs> so my goal is to have different thoughts, you know, because whatever got you to the negative circumstance you're in, whatever belief system got you there isn't going to get you out. You need some new thoughts. And one of the things I've tried to train myself is, is this what God would say about it? Can you hear God in heaven saying, yeah, Redding's hard for the gospel. (laughs) He said, you know, why are we declaring that places are hard for the gospel when God said nothing is too hard for me? Where are we getting that prophetic word? You know, so just some of your thoughts, just ask yourself, would God say that? And the other thing is, I've, this is my little personal thing, is I've actually decided I only want thoughts that motivate me to change. It's time to get rid of the thoughts that make you want to crawl under your bed and give up. They're not helping You know, it took me, you know, 35 years to figure out some of my thoughts were my problem. But they felt so true. And they are true if you're not a Christian. But we have a whole different playing field. Pick up some new thoughts that go along with your new resurrected life. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just something's happening here tonight. Something's happening here tonight.
there, there's breakthrough, there's freedom, there's hope, there's solutions. We thank you, Lord, for supernatural solutions. We thank you for double-mindedness getting broken off. We thank you, Father, for just causing us to prosper in our souls, even in seasons where we're outwardly not. Thank you for grace, and thank you that our past always turns to good. If you receive the message tonight, say, I receive it. I will never be the same again. Something happened in me tonight. It's going to increase. It's going to bear much fruit. It's a nation-changing thing. Amen, amen. Give God thanks. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. We hope that you have been blessed by this message. For more resources, you can visit our website at ignitinghope.com.